All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. We have another special episode of Bro Science today. Joined, as always, with my brother, uh, Craig. Welcome, and thank you for joining us again. Thanks, Trav. Exciting to be back here talking about what no doubt will be quite an interesting topic, a really big topic. But hopefully today we can just look at uh, just, uh, you know, dipping our toes in the water and starting to explore some of the real, the real basic uh, early, early things that we can discuss all about supplements. Beautiful. So we're going diving into the world of supplements. So this, uh, as a pre-frame for personal trainers, we all must understand our actual scope of practice here. We cannot advise people to take supplements, and there are reasons for that. Um, there's, there's, I remember one where where a trainer told them to take protein powders, and they've had a bad reaction to it, and or or other other um, supplements which contain stimulants and people have had bad reactions to it. So as a personal trainer, we are not allowed to advise people to take any type of specific supplement. Uh, we can let clients know what we might take, uh, and then we can also point them in the direction of information, um, of where to find some good, reliable information, which is some of the stuff which we might be talking or which we will be talking about today. But we're going to be diving into this sort of intro to the world of supplements. So as all, all good intros, let's start by defining it. What is essentially a supplement? What does that mean? Yeah, it's an, an interesting one. So um, there's lots of different definitions you can go from. Uh, and interestingly, the IOC, so um, the International Olympic Committee, uh, well, while we might only think of the Olympics every four years, the IOC is actually a, a body that releases a lot of uh, evidence around the sort of sports medicine world. Um, and they've actually released a consensus statement around supplements and supplement use, especially, especially within athletes. Uh, and there's a few different uh, sort of definitions. And the one that the IOC likes to go with is is a food, a food component, nutrient, or non-food compound that is purposefully ingested in addition to the habitually consumed diet with the aim of achieving a specific health and or performance benefit. So in a nutshell, um, a supplement is anything that you take in uh, in addition to your regular dietary intake for a specific purpose. Um, and there's a few different reasons that, that you might, but essentially it's either a, you know, a health or performance uh, aimed benefit. So when we talk performance, as it was spoken on, on previous podcasts, uh, that could include things like um, physically making you stronger or physically making right. you perform a little bit better, or it might include something that makes you recover a little bit faster. Yeah, definitely. So um, we'll sort of talk about a few of the different reasons that people might uh, choose to take a supplement, uh, which is uh, stuff that, that we'll sort of talk about. And, and obviously, it also depends on the population in which you fall. So a lot of the stuff that we'll talk about today will definitely take into consideration an athlete population, uh, noting the significant limitations and the uh, you know controls and frameworks around uh, 
the the legal authority for supplementation within an athletic population, uh, and that's probably a really good a really good baseline to work off. Uh, and and yeah, definitely, you know the 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 supplements, you know, while they are are used in elite sports and in professional athletes, in terms of thinking about the reason that we started this this podcast, you know, bro science sorting facts from fiction, you know, I, I'm not sure there's a there's a better topic than looking at the supplement industry and looking at what supplements can offer and, and really trying to understand, you know, what, um, you know, what should, what, what decisions should be making. And I guess, uh, you know, harking back to your introductory point, we're not here to necessarily recommend one supplement or another um, as it's not really the, the role, especially of personal trainers to be prescribing supplements uh, and, and you know that's stuff that we can we can talk about. Um, you know the prescription of, of particular supplements as we go along in the discussion, and probably on future episodes. But what we're trying to do is give people the opportunity to have uh, an avenue to be able to explore um, and get the appropriate, good quality information that maybe comes from the scientific evidence, um, rather than you know from branding or marketing or or any other sources that might not be giving you a a, a clear understanding of, of what's right for you as the individual. Well, well, this is important because as we look at this, um, you know, like the, the supplement industry, when you look at what the value of the supplement industry is, it can range anywhere from, you know, because obviously it's, you know, it's an estimate, uh, looking at different options here. I can see, I've seen here up to $48 billion or starting at $48 billion or on a low end and on a higher end, the global, so that may, this um, that doesn't necessarily say if it's US-based specifically, that one, but another one down here talks about the global dietary supplement market size was valued at $140 billion in 2020. So you're talking about a multiple billion dollar industry. So it is a massive industry. And, and like we always, like we, like we talk about, we're trying to sort a bit of fact from fiction. So we're trying to find, you know, cut through what, um, hopefully has a bit of evidence base behind it and some of the stuff which may or may not have some evidence behind it. But one thing I want to talk about just before we go in here is, is along that same lines of defini definition of what is a supplement, you spoke about things that you put in your body, where does that vary between something like a vitamin? Is a vitamin just a supplement? It's just a specific type of supplement. What, like, where does that, where do vitamins sit? Yeah, it's interesting. So, one of the key things that we look at is we actually break down the different sort of supplements. So there's sort of a, a subclass uh, of supplements that we talk about, which is, is almost um, more medical type supplements. And I guess a lot of the vitamins in there, we're looking at um, uh, replacing uh, deficiencies. So using it as a, as a clinical treatment mm -hmm. uh, versus potentially using it as a uh, as a buffer for other reasons as well. So uh, yeah, vitamins would be considered within within the supplement class but it, it's going to be that subdivision as to whether it's a, a medically indicated thing for a known deficiency or a, a potential risk of someone being low in that particular uh, vitamin or mineral or whether it's being taken as a for, for one of the other um, sort of purposes that might be not quite as targeted and that's probably something we'll talk about yeah well i suppose that's a great great way to lead into the next question Let, let's focus on the medical side of things for a second why would someone um be prescribed a supplement on the medical side of things i mean there's probably a, a long list of reasons but but what are some of the more common common things that we might look for where someone's prescribed a a supplement yeah definitely so um the the thing so i guess it's also a good point 
to, to sort of chat about the provision of supplements and, and who's going to be uh, prescribing these. And so realistically, you're looking at sort of two, two avenues of, of, of being recommended supplements other than, you know, the individual uh, taking, taking upon themselves to go out and source these things. Because most of these, almost uh, all of these supplements that we're going to talk about are, are open source on the market. So it's an individual's ability to go out and access these without necessarily needing to go through any, any professional to mm. be specifically recommended or uh, prescribed. The options of where you would access them. So for the, the medical supplements, they'll often be recommended by a doctor. So whether that's a general practitioner or a specialist doctor. Um, and then a lot of the more uh, nutritional dietary things, you're looking at uh, dietitians, particularly sort of sports dietitians. Um, ideally, those accredited, as we've previously discussed uh, on the conversation. So just, you know, be mindful not to get caught up in the nutritional nutritionist versus dietitian uh, thing. There's a, mm-hmm. They're not necessarily both uh, equivalent qualifications. So we're talking about accredited dietitians providing this advice. Um, back to your specific question in terms of the situations that we would uh, prescribe a, a medical supplement. Most common one is going to be iron supplementation. So um, iron is one of the building blocks that help us to build our red blood cells, which carry the oxygen around our body and give us the energy to live our lives. Uh, so the most common thing is any sort of uh, childbearing age uh, female who has a has a regular menstrual cycle is regularly losing uh, losing blood and iron in in that means, and so they're the most likely population that need to go onto iron supplements. So something you need to be mindful of. There are some other medical conditions where you can run low on iron. Um, a few sort of thalassemias and other sort of blood disorders. Uh, or if there's uh, any condition where they're not getting sufficient intake. So you know vegetarians are maybe at an increased mm. risk of having low iron just because the the concentration of iron sources in non-animal products is a little bit lower, so it's a little bit hard to maintain. Um, they're probably the, the sort of big ones talking with, about... With that, just, just to add on to that, would that, um, you spoke women specifically, uh, are men at the same sort of of risk for some of that stuff or like for iron deficiency or is it, you know, not men as, mainly not if as, they're vegetarian or... Yeah, so not as much because there's not really any... Other than uh, the sort of female uh, re- re- reproductive cycle, there's not any way that we regularly lose iron from our mm-hmm. system. Uh, so generally outside those populations, someone who's running low on iron, they're either not getting enough in, which is you know, not necessarily the main, uh, the main source, or there's some other medical issue going on. So it, it would be quite rare. It is, it is something that's quite common to see in the, in the sort of uh, younger sort of female population for sure. Um, so other things that we one? talk about is yeah, iron, so other yep. things that we talk about um, medical supplements. The other one that we're seeing a lot of is vitamin D. So mm. um, we're really only going to touch on this today, and it's probably got enough to have its own topic. But but really, commonly, uh, especially now, we're we're starting to understand more and more, uh, especially within the medical field, about the importance of of vitamin D for. We always knew about it for bone health, but you know, for brain health and immune function, it, it's so important. Um, and I don't know whether it's maybe related to the change of lifestyle that's occurred during the sort of COVID pandemic, but I've noticed quite a lot of low vitamin Ds in all walks of life um, uh, of people who aren't getting enough potentially sun exposure, uh, that they're having low vitamin Ds and, they're sort of, and they are requiring supplementation to sort of get those levels back up. So that's a common one we see. Well, it's an um, interesting one with uh, you know, current times of you know, we're, 
we're still COVID pandemicing, and then and, and mm. a lot of the big talk is around vitamin D and hospitalizations with vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had these, probably we won't dive too much into it right now. We've not looked into all the research at the moment, and it may get its own episode. But another one I, I had recently, like the discussion we had, is it, is it that correlation or causation? You know, so mm. with a lot of older people who might be, uh, you know, who are, who are more heavily affected with COVID, who are more likely to be hospitalized with COVID, who have those higher risks also happen to have lower vitamin D, you know, like, is it just that whole cohort who's likely to have whole, like lower vitamin D? So maybe with vitamin D specifically, is that something that affects, again, is that a, a, any, any male, female age? What, what sort of factors might we look at for vitamin D deficiency? the, the, The big thing is we, we get vitamin D from a combination of dietary sources and then conversion through exposure to sunlight. Um, so, you know, if you're not getting sufficient exposure to the sunlight, uh, the certain altitudes that you live in. So especially in certain parts of sort of Northern Europe, where they're getting less sun exposure, that's a a really significant risk. If there's any limitations in the absorbing vitamin D, so the darker your skin color, the more sun you need to actually get that absorption. So, um, people in less temperate climates, so not getting as much sun exposure, if they have darker pigmented skin, um, they're at increased risk, uh, especially. Um, but, but, uh, even from that point, I've seen people from all walks of life have relatively low vitamin D levels. I think it's probably a safe, um, assumption that a lot of people, especially if they're in sort of residential aged care, they're not going to be getting a lot of sunlight. They've, they've probably not got necessarily a, a well-bounded, a well-rounded sort of, uh, healthy lifestyle overall. So, you know, they're probably more likely to have low vitamin D and I'm sure that's, you know, will be easily backed up if I, if I did a bit of cursor research and therefore, um, they're also the population that are going to be worsely, uh, w- w- more significantly affected by all health issues, mm. pandemic included. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've got iron, we've got vitamin D. Any other common ones on the medical side? Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah, so uh, things that we saw, so a general multivitamin we might see, uh, and that might be related to people who aren't getting adequate dietary intake or potentially have some kind of absorption issue. So maybe they're taking it in, but their body can't absorb it appropriately. Um, Calcium, zinc, and and sort of probiotics are are other ones we would see in terms of supplementations. Um, so that, that's sort of what we're talking about when we're talking about medical supplements. Obviously, there's a long, a long list. You know, B12 is probably another common one, um, which generally is recommended for supplementation in people who uh, have a low intake of, of animal-based products. So it's one thing that we do recommend anyone who's on a sort of restrictive diet uh, of plant-based things. They, they be aware of their vitamin B12 levels uh, and, and supplement them as appropriate because often that even needs to be sort of fortified um, or treated. Um, they're, they're probably the big ones that we would talk about um, mostly. So they, they're our medical um, medical reasons. So we're looking at that's actually prescribed by a doctor. 
Now let's flip on the other side of the fence. You know, maybe these come, maybe it comes from a dietitian. Maybe it comes from, like you said, sort of, you know, self-administered, so to speak. You know, like I, you know, I want to get more protein or whatever it might be. What are the other reasons someone essentially looks into choosing uh, a vitamin or looks into taking vitamins or supplements? Pardon me. Yeah. Okay. So um, I guess this comes to the question of what are you trying to achieve through this supplement? So the first starting point, and I'm sure any of my colleagues uh, who are in the, the um, you know, dietetics world uh, or, you know, into, into nutrition specifically, the main thing to talk about is a lot of the time, most things should be encapsulated in a well-rounded diet. And that is your, that is your start point. So um, anyone you speak to within the field who is uh, specialized and trained would um, make a, a really strong point of supplements are there as the, 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 you know, the sprinkles on the cake, I think was, was one thing that I, one uh, equivalent I recently heard. So you haven't got a cake and you haven't iced it. There's not much point putting sprinkles on it. So it's very much those, those real small percentage gains. And they're not that useful if you haven't got a strong foundation of, of robust nutrients going in. So the reasons that we would use supplements and, and one of the things that we're actually going to talk about quite a lot today is that we've actually got an excellent resource that helps us to inform our decision of what supplements we, we should be using and talks about why, why we should look at those ones if we choose to use supplements. And it's actually the Australian Institute of Support, sorry, correction, the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, they actually have uh, the AIS framework all around supplements. Uh, and a lot of the information that we'll be talking about today will be located um, on their website. And it's something we'll go into a little bit more as we continue today's episode. Um, the reasons that we would look at, at choosing a supplement, noting that you, we're going to try and get all the fundamentals of our diet um, under control and, and access as many of those um, nutrients and requirements as we can through a rounded diet. Things that we're going to think about. So why would we supplement? So one is convenience. So one of the large um, bulk of supplements is about finding convenient ways to uh, take energy in around our sporting requirements. And so what we're talking about there is all these sort of, um, you know, sports foods. So ways of getting, um, you know, protein bars, uh, sports drinks, electrolyte supplements, like all these things that we're looking at a way of getting, of fueling the body while we're um, continuing to perform in a sport. And that's a, one thing that a lot of people might not realize is that these things, so sport drinks, um, uh, you know, sports confectionery, gels, um, uh, sports chews, and there's a whole variety of them, they're, they're considered supplements. And, and they're actually um, some of the um, higher recommended supplements in terms of knowing that they're safe and effective and, and they work for what they're trying to do. So what you're trying to do there is, is almost sort of meal replacement in, a, in an essence, because mm -hmm. depending on what kind of, um, you know, lifestyle or sport you're participating in, sometimes you'll, you'll need some fuel above and beyond your normal diet. So that's one thing. So that's one reason you might supplement because you can't, you can't get the food otherwise. So reason, as an example of that, that could be someone who is a marathon runner, ultra marathon runner, who needs to be consuming something yeah. as, they're, one, as they're completing their event. 100%. So one of the main things that we look at is we've probably got the energy levels, the energy reserves in our system to do exercise for about 90 to 120 minutes. So an hour and a half to two hours before we find that we're um, 
we're starting to bottom out on our on our stored energy reserves. So on is those that sort of regardless stored, of intensity? Um, well, obviously, higher intensity is is going to be more of the case, but but that's the sort of when we talk about um, supplementing for sort of endurance activities, realistically, you can get through an hour and a half to two hours with with not much more than hydration, right? You're not actually often needing um, to to fuel in extra glucose because you haven't quite burned through your stores. So that's that's often the cut cutout we're looking at. Obviously, people are you know playing high level tennis matches for four or five hours, you know marathons, ultra marathons, endurance activities all stretch past that time. You know, and it's probably a reason why a lot of the the sports and stuff we see, you know, most sports wrap up within a couple of hours, yeah. and that's because that's sort of the that's the that's what the body's able to perform for before you start having to think about these sort of fueling um, fueling strategies. Uh, I guess it's probably a good good point at any to point out that you know GPs aren't specialists in sports nutrition um, and dietetics, so um, I have I have a tiny drop of experience. I did a I did a um, I did a subject in my sports medicine diploma that that was uh, you know a six month subject that looked at at things like uh, you know fueling for endurance events and so I've got a little bit of an understanding but again you know if you if you need any more information you're looking at getting into a sports dietitian and I think we're lucky enough to have one coming onto the show in the next couple of weeks. Um, so uh, yes, yeah, so that's when you would use those sort of sports foods. So um, moving on to the other things that we're looking for taking supplements. So next one is we're starting to look at performance indications. And so that's either going to be um, looking at a balance of recovering quicker to allow us to sort of, um, you know, recover, get back to doing the activity uh, and get back on the, on the field or get back to some standard of performance that we're trying to achieve. It could be um, an absolute performance thing. So something we would take uh, at the time of an activity to try and boost our outputs. Uh, it could be something to reduce, you know, muscle soreness, uh, or it could be something to try and alter our body composition. So whether it's people trying to increase their lean body mass or increase their muscle mass or reduce their fat or just sort of change that contribution. So those would be the big reasons. Other things that we would think about um, where people are thinking about taking supplements would be um, maybe trying to support their immune health. So maybe preventing themselves from becoming unwell or shortening any illness because, you know, any time that they're ill uh, or, you know, off, off training or off competition, that's, you know, a bit of a loss in an athletic population. Um, and also it might also be, you know, other non-physical things. So whether it's for mental clarity or for alertness or, or any of those other sort of, um, you know, neurocognitive effects for, for performance. So, broadly those would be the the main motivations people look at taking supplements so would you sort of agree with those yeah or? i mean i think you you mentioned it with the uh the first one when i asked about the the sort of intra sport uh consuming but you you mentioned meal meal replacement and not mm. only would that be while people are completing sport but that could be for someone who is you know looking to lose weight like a lot of the weight loss stuff is all right let's let's use like this this protein shake and and or this particular liquid meal replacement for you know one of your particular meals and we're just looking to limit those calorie intake get you feeling full because it's like a lot of liquid um usually high protein um you know maybe it has a few other bits and pieces in there as well but usually high protein uh a volume of liquid that just keeps you keeping keeps you feeling full for a bit longer let's take a quick break 
Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Or it's um, even for non-athletic environments, it's people who have busy work schedules. They've got a busy life. They haven't Mm. got the time to have a fully nutritious meal. And so sometimes these kind of sports supplements are just sort of, you know, uh, a dietary supplements in in terms of convenience. And, And especially in an athletic population, if you're flying, if you're traveling, if you're in a foreign place and you haven't got access to cook your own food and all that sort of stuff. So it's all these things become relevant in a variety of scenarios, not necessarily just an elite sport. And it can be people who are, you know, everyday, um, you know, clients who are out uh, in person training or it's everyday people running around trying to, trying to you know, get through the workday and, and get through their sort of um, their home, home life and, and work-life balance and, and fit in the, the, the appropriate nutrition uh, in between those. So let's have a look now um in the PT world. So let's have a look in the sort of athletic world, the PT world, along that lines of performance slash, I suppose, recovery, because as we've discussed earlier on, on other episodes as well, recovery is is a huge part of performance because if you don't recover yet, it's very hard to perform, you know? So, um, and with this in mind, you mentioned the Australian Institute of Sport as being a really strong um piece of evidence that we can use because they've done a lot of research. One thing, actually, I'll just ask, go back. You mentioned at the very beginning uh, the IOC, uh, the International mm. Olympic Committee being a place. Are they funding research and stuff like that for this sort of stuff? Or is it just a place where there's people that, like, it's just a place where they're sharing content? Yeah, so a lot of what I found uh, when I was doing my uh, sports medicine uh, content is a lot of the times we'd go to an IOC consensus statement. So a lot of the time they collect a lot of the key personnel uh, in environments and they'll summarize the research. Uh, they, they often won't conduct the research themselves, but they'll get together and they'll be that expert committee that'll pr- essentially have a position statement on a certain clinical issue or a certain medical issue. Uh, for example, there's a 2018 uh, and, we'll, and we'll link this in the show notes, it's a, 20, a 2018 IOC consensus. Uh, uh, it's a consensus statement on dietary supplements uh, and the high-performance athletes. So it, it goes through a really good summary and it actually um, goes through a lot of the summary of evidence. And it's one of the things that's linked uh, across on the, on the AIS website as well as one of the, one of the key references. Um, okay. That really Perfect. dives into the research. So, so let's dive into this AIS website because this is where we we're going to spend a bulk of the the time today. Um, the AIS website is really a very strong, powerful website in that um, it categorizes supplements across four four categories. We've got A, B, C, and D class supplements. Now, the supplements on the AIS website. Is this including things that would be deemed as illegal for um, people doing, you know, water testing, or the uh, water testing World Athletic Doping Association, or something like that? Are these supplements that are things that are only approved by these uh, bodies, or? Yeah, so essentially that that's correct. So 
the the framework for um, the AIS, um, uh, sorry, the guiding principles for the AIS sports supplement framework. So that's what it's called, this, the um, AIS sports supplements framework, is, is three basic principles. So the first thing they look to identify is, is this supplement safe? Uh, and that is talking about whether, you know, ingestion of that supplement is going to be safe in the individual's with a risk, without a risk of causing health issues. As you flagged at the start, um, the concern about recommending or prescribing outside of your scope of practice is that someone might have an underlying health issue and they can run into problems. So big, big first one is, is it safe before you can endorse or recommend anything? That's what you want to know. The next one is the question, as you just asked, is it permitted in sport? And that's that's something that is uh, important to understand. And and. Uh, you know, maybe down the track, we'll explore the other side of the, the aisle in terms of uh, performance enhancing, um, uh, you know, options. But all I, was actually going to, I was actually going to ask that anyway right now, because let's say something like testosterone. It's not really a supplement. It, like, it, like, as in, it's not a dietary thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, that wouldn't fit in as a supplement, I assume. And, and generally speaking, many of the illegal uh, well, you know, generally illegal stuff. Um, mm. they're, they're not really supplements, right? They're, they'd be something yeah, different. So, so whether they're either, you know, they might be considered drugs medications medica uh, medications and, and sort of drugs. Uh, when we're looking at the AIS framework, they all fall into the, into the category D. And we'll go through the categories and explain what they are. But essentially, it goes from A to, to D being A being the, the best and most highest to recommend and the Ds being the sort of no-nos for one of these reasons. So, you know, testosterone itself, um, when we're talking about, uh, I guess, legalities in sport, one of the interesting things is that the WADA list is actually sort of sport-specific and there are caveats to it. Um, so if anyone is involved in uh, a sort of elite sports where, there's substance, uh, where, they're, um, uh, where they are uh, subject to random drug testing, it's important they know what is legal or illegal for them individually. So there's actually another website that we'll probably put the, um, the link in the show notes called Global, Global Dro. I think it's um, globaldro.org. And essentially you can look up what the, what the product is, what your sport is, and what country you're in, and it'll give you an idea of whether it's permitted or not. Um, and sometimes there's things that are permitted in season versus out of season, uh, and that's a, a good indication to sort of understand. So when we're looking at the, the AIS framework, um, really we're only looking at uh, you know, WADA and, and ASADA particularly, being the Australian branch of the Anti-Doping Association, uh, endorsed products. So we're not really going to dive into the sort of Either, either illegal, um, uh, overarchingly illegal, so they're illegal substances because they're um, considered unsafe or um, there's some issue with their use or they're banned within sports. So they might not be illegal in the civilian um, environment. However, they're banned in sports because they create an unfair advantage, et cetera, et cetera. And that's probably something else we can sort of talk about um, on, a, on a separate scope. So, so looking, at, looking at the, um, you spoke about the four categories, uh yep. a through to d um yep. do we start it start at a and work our way down or yeah yeah for sure but there was one the one last thing for the the guiding principles so one was it safe two was it permitted in sport and three is there evidence that it actually works and that's probably the key thing and that's really the the thing that we're breaking down in terms of a sorting fact and fiction is are these supplements doing something or are they 
more marketing than they are results and is this you know going to be an expensive exercise for very little gains mm. so essentially what they've broken down into is the a b c d categories the level a categories do we well are, do we want to how do we want to start from the bottom and go up or do we want to start from the top and go down no i think we start from the top and go down okay. um and probably just you know we'll probably spend a bit more time on, on certain areas and then, uh, you know, and it'll become sort of apparent why we're doing that as we go through. So I think it's probably useful to start with the A's. Okay. Um, and, and this is probably going to be the useful information for people out there. Um, and it's really good to know what, what actually has good evidence to suggest that it works and what might be worth taking, assuming you've done all your other foundation stuff well. So the category A are considered to have strong evidence in use of specific situations in sport using evidence-based protocols. Um, and generally, they're permitted for use um, uh, according to best practice uh, protocols. So the list that they provide on the AIS website isn't an exhaustive list, so it's more of a, a general guideline. In the category A, they've got four, um, uh, sorry, correction, they've got three subcategories. The first thing they talk about is the sport foods, and that's all your sort of sports drinks, gels, bars, um, isolated protein supplements, uh, mixed sort of macronutrient bars, so you know, combination of carbohydrate, proteins and fats, sports confectionery, electrolyte supplements. So they're all sort of recognized as a level A, important for either replacing energy or replacing electrolytes um, during activities. The next um, area we're talking about is the, the medical supplements and the big ones it's talking about, uh, you know, iron, multivitamins, vitamin D, calcium, probiotics and zinc are the main ones that they endorse as a category A level recommending use. So these are either used to prevent or treat clinical issues, um, whether that's a diagnosed nutritional deficiency or an identified risk that someone might be low in that because of, you know, they're maybe not capturing it in their normal um, dietary habits. And then probably the last one and the most um, interesting one that we can maybe spend a little bit more time on um, is your performance supplements. So these are the supplements or ingredients that can either support or enhance sport performance. Um, and they're often used in an individualized way and maybe event specific uh, and generally also recommended to be used under the guidance of a sports dietitian. One of the interesting things is when I've had interactions with sports dietitians in the sporting world, these are all used on a sort of prescribed level as consulted with a sports dietitian. Most organizations aren't just going, you know, willy-nilly filling their boots with these things. A lot of them do need to be targeted. So interestingly, there's only six topics that are, uh, there's only six uh, products that are actually listed as performance, class A performance supplements on the AIS framework, um, which they would recommend using. So the first one, which um, probably won't surprise too many people out there is caffeine. So um, caffeine is a big one. Um, beta alanine is another one. Uh, dietary nitrates, most commonly from beetroot juice. Uh, sodium bicarbonate, uh, creatine, and glycerol. And those are the main ones that round out that group A list. So um, it's a bit of an interesting one. So um, any surprises in that list or what are yeah, your well, sort of thoughts? Um, so obviously, again, these are all evidence-based. So we know that these things work. I mean, both you and I have used uh, creatine um, on and off for, for many years. Both you and I have had uh, enjoy a good coffee and a good bit of caffeine uh, here and there. A beta alanine is something that I've used. Um, 
the the dietary nitrate that's about like your blood vessels the nitrate dietary nitrates with the beetroot juice is that what that is yeah so it's trying to uh increase availability of nitric oxide which um you know regulates blood pressure and blood flow um can improve immune function uh, mitochondrial function muscle contraction so you get some sort of um, metabolic improvements uh in, in some effects and then the other two i have to say i don't even know don't sodium bicarbonate. Don't you clean stuff with that? Like I don't, like yeah, I don't... you do. You do. That's uh, yeah, um, uh, baking soda essentially. So yeah, so they're sort of the interesting thing is these are not uh, recommended as you know panacea. Everybody should take all of these, and it will make them a super elite superstar. Uh, there's actually special conditions they talk about what they actually can be provided for and what benefits they give. So the interesting one you wanted to talk about sort of um, those those couple of ones that maybe you hadn't um, uh, thought too much about. So bicarbonate itself. So that's actually sort of a, a, a buffer. Um, and I don't know, uh, I don't know how you did with your, your high school science back in the day, but we're talking about sort of, um, you know, acid-based balance type stuff. Uh, and part of it is, I guess, theoretical in noting that with activity, your acidity, you know, increases. Um, you get an excess of hydrogen ions, which is what causes that acidity. And bicarbonate itself sort of can neutralize that um, and uh, reduce the sort of imbalance is kind of how it's thought to work. So it, it's, it's thought that that sort of imbalance can contribute to fatigue. So one of the, um, the things that they've looked at of using sodium bicarbonate is that, you know, you can get a 2 to 3% improvement across a variety of performance measures. So power, speed, work capacity, or time to failure. Um, in single and repeated bouts of high intensity exercise for sort of one to 10 minutes. So the, the IOC statement sort of said with regarding to um, sodium bicarbonate, it's one of the one of five dietary supplements that consistently improves performance in elite athletes, but it's in a very fixed and quite narrow window of activity, mm. right? So um, realistically, it's, it's really short um, almost anaerobic type high intensity. Yeah. Activity. Well, you're looking. It's it looks like it's it's anything from like say that 400 meter style event through to mm. what do they run in seven minutes? I suppose that's you know they run they run they don't run 10 k's in seven minutes, do they? But I mean, you're looking they at do not. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously they run the yeah, yeah. How, how quick do they run seven? Oh well, they do 1500s uh, like 1500s. Yeah, yeah. I was like say, four and a half yeah. minutes. So um, a bit longer. So than they'd 50, be running three k event yeah, maybe. Three, yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so potentially um, anyone who's performing from that 400-meter range through to that sort of 3 to 5K, potentially at the longest. Yeah, so that's that's sort of what it's looking at. So obviously that's not going to be suitable to every sort of Tom, Dick, and Harry running around um, at a boot camp. Like that's talking about minuscule improvements on really mm. high performance, which is and, probably and how why is this consumed? Me, and, me and you haven't heard too much about it because we haven't spent too much time uh, trying to get that 1% elite performance out. And how how is this consumed? Um, you like uh, so it talks about oral ingestion. So um, uh, there'd be specific doses and and, and yeah. recommendations, but just like yeah, mixed these are water all, sort of thing. Yeah. Oral supplements, yeah, all oral supplements. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't go drinking your your sodium bicarb. But uh, it is it is something that's used in in a prescribed environment in elite sports. And uh, glycerin, the other one that you talked sugar? about, yeah, glycerol. It, it- so. Um, glycerol is an interesting one. So essentially, its main thing is that its its main benefit is that it might uh, enhance your retention of, of water. So it's it's something to assist with your hydration status. 
Um, so it might result in, uh, so uh, when consumed with an extra volume of fluid, glycerol contributes to osmotic pressure in the body fluids and causes a temporary retention of fluid and expansion of the body fluid compartments beyond the normal fluctuations. So in terms of activities where there might be prolonged intense exercise in thermally challenging environments or when fluid access might be restricted, it can be one way that you can allow your hydration to drive a little bit longer. So again, that's probably on the other side of the, the, the aisle where you've got sodium bicarb being used in really short action, really um, high intensity stuff. The other end, you can use something like glycerol to assist with your long-term hydration um, as an option. Yeah, wow. Uh, we talked about, we briefly touched on the sort of nitrates. So um, there's, there's some evidence that, um, uh, that nitrate supplementation uh, most commonly accessed through beetroot juice, which apparently is not uh, particularly uh, palatable. Uh, but there's some evidence that it can enhance the uh, muscle power sprint uh, and multiple sprint in high-intensity intermittent exercise performance, um, meaning that it might be relevant in, in a variety of sort of high-intensity sports um, as, as a potential option to enhance things. Uh, the other one, the other big ones we sort of we we touched on was uh, obviously caffeine. Interestingly, caffeine was actually on the banned list up until two thousand and four um, as a performance enhancing substance. Um, you need to be aware of how to use it and response and tolerance and all that sort of stuff when you're using it in a sports performance type of uh, of way. Uh, and then sort of beta alanine and creatine, these are the things that we're looking at in terms of your muscle activity and muscle strength. And then creatine's obviously um, also got those sort of neurocognitive um, uh, suggestions from the evidence to help with help with your, your brain health and, and all that sort of stuff. So sometimes you're actually not only seeing sort of the, the, the buff guys at the gym looking at, at creatine as an option, but maybe those are as older people in our lives to sort of uh, keep, keep their mental sharpness as well. That's, it's one of the other areas that it's got some evolving evidence around, but again, diving in that too deep is maybe not quite in the scope of, of today's chat. Let's take a quick break. Hey, bar and girl fans. It's Jim with Madhouse bar talk where me and my co host sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby! Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I suppose those ones are the ones you, you know, the caffeine, the beta alanine, and the um, and the, the creatine are those ones that are pretty, pretty standard within um, I suppose a fitness field of, of yep. what we would expect to see in you know pre-workout style supplements or, or something like yeah, that. They're, they're pretty yep. standard supplements, I suppose. Yep. Any ones that you're expecting to see there that we didn't see, or um, not not so much in the sports performance side of things. Um, yep. In the sort of food side of things, I think we, if I go back, I think there was vitamin D was there and zinc. Um, yep. the one I, I think that I know, I know it's coming up next, but was, was something like vitamin C that, that wasn't mm -hmm. there. Um, I would have yep. thought vitamin C uh, and fish oils. I would have thought fish oils yeah, yeah. would have, would have made their way up here. I, I thought there was a lot of evidence for fish oils. Yep. Um, yeah, that, they're probably I, the ones I was sort of expecting to see there. 
Yeah, okay. And so I guess we can um, quickly move into those category B sort of items. And essentially what this is identified is is ones that are safe, but the, the data is still not quite there to say either way. So you can't definitely say that they don't work, but you can't definitely say that they do work in all situations. Um, interestingly, uh, the point you've made around uh, sort of vitamin C. So vitamin C has got relatively good evidence in sort of improving people's um, symptoms of immune health. So maybe not objectively making a huge difference, but maybe subjectively helping people to reduce their symptoms of, you know, cough, cold type things, um, as well as some other sort of uh, outcomes of, of their health. Uh, fish oil is used, uh, you know, it's on the, it's on the therapeutic guideline for, for joint inflammation. So it's actually recommended as, a, as, a, as an anti-inflammatory option for, for arthritis. So recommended by Arthritis Australia. Uh, very high dose though, that you uh, higher than you expect. So it's actually nine grams daily, which is either nine of the standard 1,000 milligram tablets or sort of, you know, four and a half of the, of the larger ones. So I use the, I use being the boys that are like 3,000s. Yeah, so being mindful that you need to um, you need to take a relatively high dose of the fish oil to get the the anti-inflammatory joint benefits. Now, being mindful that the, the AIS framework is talking about performance enhancement, so mm. so it's not saying that these things are no good for anything. It's just sort of saying in a okay. in a structured performance point of view. Okay. Um, other ones that we see in in the sort of class B, um, we see some. Uh, there, there's an interesting one. They talk about sort of tastants, which is things that give the sort of um, the cool sensation in the mouth. So menthols uh, and any of those sort of things that can. Uh, so when you're you know really struggling and and uh, and puffing hard, things that cool the mouth give you a uh, a bit of a, a, a central nervous system action to sort of make you feel like things have cooled down and reduced. Could that also include I um. I, I ordered something. I got I got targeted on some online shopping with something called yep. Rocket Fuel. Rocket and, Fuel. Ooh, Rocket Fuel. It, it tastes as good as it sounds, um, mm. but it's about sinusing, like sinus stuff, like clearing nasal yeah. passages. It yep. is potent um, and it is strong. And I think like I, I suspect wasabi. I suspect. Um, for me, part of my issue is probably structural, um, but yep. it does it does definitely help on. And I I would imagine if I had a cold or when I've got hay fever and stuff like that, that like it de definitely clears me up pretty quick, smart. Um, yep. And I think if you probably if you don't have maybe some structural issue in your nose, I think it might work better than than it has on me. Um, would that include stuff like that? So something that like well, yeah, I think it's anything passages. Well, I think it's it's things that sort of trigger that neurological response to either you know give you a cool sort of experience or it's you know the reason you chuck a bit of vix on before you run out in the footy field mm. it's sort of um, yeah well this stuff is you know, like doesn't eating a spoonful of vix yeah right okay sounds that's what, pleasant. That's what it tastes like sounds pleasant might yeah. get you to the moon as well you know maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what elon and jeff bezos are using on their space exploration captain kirk of, as well a bit of rocket fuel um other things so um uh, talks about curcumin which is the active ingredient of turmeric again that's a, a anti-inflammatory thing uh carnitine ketone supplements collagen support and and acetylcysteine so these are all things that we sort of hear a bit about um there's extra information available on the website if you wanted to have a look to get mm. some more understanding of the evidence but these and are again these are all really common um fitness supplements mm. you know like yeah Curcumin is something that that I've had and I, and I yep. typically take. Fish oil is definitely something I take. Uh, carnitine is something I have played around with. 
Uh, I'm sure the Ann Asseltool sister team is something that I know is in some well, stuff that that's I take. N- that's, yeah, NAC. That's, I think uh, Joe, Joey Boy Rogan often talks about his NAC drips. No, N- uh, that's NAD. NAD. Sorry, collection, collection. NAD. That's NAD. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of them fall into that, that similar. And those are things that you know attract a lot of interest, potential benefits to bodily function, but maybe haven't quite been proven yet. But importantly, haven't been proven not to work, which is when we start to roll into that next section which is this group C. Uh, and so group C has essentially said that the evidence supports has not supported um, uh, a benefit in athletes or there hasn't been any research to have a, have a legitimate opinion around it. And so this is an interesting one that, it, that, that more or less is a polite way of saying from the AIS framework, they wouldn't support these being used as a routine supplement. Uh, and they don't essentially think there's strong evidence. And so a few uh-huh. interesting ones that fall. This is actually very interesting. Yeah, there's actually some quite interesting ones that fall into this category. So things like branched chain amino acid. BCAAs. One of the things just before we dive in there, if you go to the website, we'll link the website in the show notes. Uh, you can click on each one like Craig mentioned to get extra notes. But all the others have had multiple categories like taste and and food stuff. Yep. And yeah, this yep. one is just just straight up just their supplements. It's only one category of, of, yep. of items here, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's sort of making the point of, um, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're breaking them down, but these are the sort of ones. And interestingly, they don't have an extensive list on this website. So these mm-hmm. are the ones that they've made a specific um, uh, point of. And their sort of policy statement from the AIS is it's not advocated for use by athletes within supplement programs. It might be permitted in specific approvals but they don't think that they a, have evidence they work or there's really any need for them. So one of the, one of the interesting ones is, is you know, branched-chain amino acids. How mm. often do you see BCAAs being advertised? Massive yeah. industry. So Well, there's three things on this list that I'm really surprised to see on this list. Yeah, yeah. So um, I imagine BCAAs. Yep. Magnesium would probably be one of the other ones. Yep. And what's the other one that's... Uh, any, you want to have a wild guess of the list there? There's there's only eight things on the list. So what, what do you think the third uh, one is? Prebiotics, maybe. Prebiotics. Yeah, they, they're the three. So the things, list yeah. the list of eight things are there's uh, there's those three: magnesium, BCAAs, slash leucine, and prebiotics. There's HMB, phosphate, vitamin E, alpha lipoic acid, and tyrosine. Uh, and and as I said, that you know the website does go into more detail about the evidence around this, um, but essentially, you know. What, what, what they've found is that the, the current evidence um, is actually strong enough either to not have an opinion, so there's, there's very little evidence, mm. or the evidence is actually strong enough to say, hey, it, it probably isn't necessarily worth um, exploring this. We talk about performance. Uh, you know, this is talking about performance. I thought magnesium was a pretty well-known one for, for sleep. Yeah, so it is interesting. So um, the the key point when you go into the magnesium section, so it says where nutritional intake is adequate and there's no existing uh, pre-existing bony injury, ingestion of additional magnesium may show little benefit in athletes. Um, from a consensus statement, um, it was made uh, a classification as a group C supplement um, it may be included in a bone, uh, like a bone health thing in combination with calcium and vitamin D with people who have stress fractures. But outside of that environment, it's not necessarily routine, routinely recommended. Um, I know there are a few, it's like ZMA and there's a few other sort of uh, combination mm. activities and they sort of do talk about magnesium being helpful for sleep. 
Um, I guess it's maybe a, a you know if we do a bit of a sleep a sleep chat, we can have a look at whether the how strong the evidence is for that. But essentially, from an athletic point of view and from a performance point of view, it's um it, you know it's not recommended yeah. if you've got yeah. Well, well, I mean, I, I would think that if something helps you sleep, it would help your performance. Yeah. So think, yeah, yeah, yeah that, so that's I, a really surprising one for me to see here. That's the yeah, most surprising think, one for me to see. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have to follow it up. Um, because I'm, I'm sure we'll have a chat about things that can help you sleep. I'm actually listening to the, the sleep book at the moment, as you've recommended to me. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that'll be something to, to look at uh, down the line. Um, the other interesting one that you might talk about is the, the BCAAs. They're really commonly seen. So um, one of the issues is that essentially BCAAs, branched-chain amino acids, uh, it's, it's really protein. So um, you're getting it in food, you're getting it in protein supplements. So, so the idea is that getting a more specific broken down BCAA doesn't necessarily improve things. And there's actually a potential argument that it can competitively bind um, uh, to prevent the uptake of other amino acids. Um, so there, there is an issue that it, you know, it doesn't necessarily um, give the benefits that it might be, might be targeted. And it might be one of those sort of wonder things that had a lot of um, promise early on, but when you actually uh, break it down and look, look at it, you know, the evidence doesn't stack up behind it. Do you know, um, you may know, you may not know, has this list, I assume it's changed and updated regularly. Do you know things, have things moved up the chain? Yeah, so this, this the BCAAs have recently dropped from a, from a B to a C on the last review. So oh, it gets wow, reviewed okay. every couple so of years. So it's gone down so, the chain. Yeah. yeah, so it gets reviewed every couple of years. So essentially they, they've come to the point where they're comfortable that the evidence uh, has shown that it's um, probably more likely to do more damage to your wallet than it is going to do improvements to your health and performance. Yeah, wow, well, interesting. And that's the AIS position. So um, no doubt a lot of the supplement companies were, were, were not uh, a fan of that recategorization, unfortunately. So, yeah. and again, it's not saying that you should net, like, you know, th- this is saying that the AIS, you know, peak sporting body, and, it, and this is quoted internationally as well. When I was, you know, researching for this podcast, the AIS framework is something that, you know, international bodies rely on because it's quite a clear and concise way to break down the evidence and, and look at what is recommended. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, it is an interesting one. It's something that people should be aware of because, um, you know, protein supplements, um, you know, isolated protein supplements actually sat in that that sports food category in category A, and then BCAAs um, are actually sitting in a C. So um, you're probably getting a much a much cheaper access to a like a whey protein isolate or something like that. Um, if you're looking at additional protein, if you're not getting sufficient in your diet, that's probably the way to go um, uh, based on this advice, right? There you go. Very interesting. Um, the other one that we talked about is sort of um, prebiotics. So this is a tricky one. So um, in category A, there were probiotics. Um, and then in category C, we're looking at prebiotics. So the, the question is, um, you know, the capacity of a prebiotic ingredient to have an effect on the, the microbiome of the body sort of depends on the ability for the gut to ferment it. Um, uh, there's such a huge degree in individual response is the main reason that they've sort of not um, supported that it's got a, an effect on sport performance. So I find um, it pretty confusing, but yeah. pre and probiotics, um, things like your yogurts, your kombucha, your yeah. kefir, your they're the ones I can think of. Mm-hmm. They are probiotics. They're all probiotics. So, Essentially, prebiotics need something uh, needs to be. They need to be fermented to act, to to make the change. Um, 
you know, there's, there's a real conflicting uh, results and therapeutic outcomes um, about sort of different things. So essentially that, you know, pro, probiotics, people are comfortable with use. Uh, prebiotics, the evidence, probably more a case of the evidence. Do you have an example yet. of what a prebiotic is? Ooh, no, I'd have to have that. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'd have to have okay. a specific product. But but you often, I think, I think you often see them in like a, um, you know, in a health supplement sort of store mm. as like a, a probiotic mix, uh, as opposed to a sort of probiotic active bacteria uh, blend. Um, interestingly, and one of the other things to sort of talk about with supplements is just because something is described as sort of natural or herbal. Uh, or organic doesn't necessarily mean it's more effective or safer or, or falls into any of those categories. So something to be aware of. So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, not a prescription item. Um, one of the big issues around supplements is they're not regulated like other products. Mm. Um, and that's, that's one of the really important things. And probably something we should have spoken earlier in, earlier in the episode is when we're talking about the safety of supplements, it's actually knowing what's in them. Mm. Um, uh, and one of the really important things, especially in athletic um, population, is the concept of third-party batch testing. Uh, and so third-party batch testing is where an independent center will uh, test each batch of, um, so each large batch of a, of a product to ensure that it doesn't contain any contaminants, uh, most notably any contaminants that would land someone on the banned substances list. So when you say regulate, I know, I definitely know in the US, it, you, you know, there's zero regulation and, you know, you could be getting stuff made out of someone's bathtub, um, mm -hmm. essentially. In Australia, is it a more regulated, uh, still not either? Okay. No, so still the supplements. So I guess that's probably the difference when you're talking about like the medical supplements. So if it's not, if they're made by like a pharmaceutical company, you can expect like a higher level of regulation, but a lot of them can be made by different sort of sports nutrition um uh, companies it's not registered as a you know it's not controlled by a drug agency because they're not drugs uh so there can be a lot of variety and a lot of them can be made in the same um warehouses or facilities as other substances and that's why there's a, a real concern about about contamination yeah so anyone who's subject to drug testing needs to be really really cautious because they're talking about like a like a teaspoon in olympic swimming pool mm. uh in terms of the dilutionary amount of a contaminant uh, that gets detected yeah, on these I mean, drug tests. There, there's so many stories of so yeah. many stories of this, you know, through um yeah, like I'm a UFC fan, there's the story of the the the, the infamous picograms with John Jones who where they yeah. were they sort of referred to it as like, hey, it's like it was like a you know, I think what he was testing positive for, they were saying again, like you said, it was like a a drop in in a in a pool was his yeah. essential, you know, testing um proof there more recently there's been the the couple of at least one swimmer um shana jacks i think her name yeah, is and yeah. someone else who it was the same both with the same substance uh was the lingerol ling uh lingandrol lingandrol and again they, they claimed it was again cross uh, you know contamination with it with something they consumed and they don't know what it was um and i think there's been a few few recent uh, shana jacks is the, the one i can think of i know mm -hmm. uh there's a few others i know there's been a few league players um who've sort of come across the same sort of thing i think michael jennings has recently had the same sort of thing um where he said it's been a, a, a cross-contamination thing so that that's a common um and, and as we go to the, the next list as well some yep. of the things are on there because they're high risk of cross-contamination 
yeah, which is interesting. So yeah, definitely. Um, so it's probably a good time to move on to the the category D, Group D. And um, so these are either uh, a band or at high risk of contamination um, or considered unsafe. Um, the categories that this breaks down into, we're looking at uh, you know stimulants, pro hormones and hormone boosters, um, growth hormone releases, releases and peptides. Uh, beta-2 agonists, uh, SARMs, which is the selective androgen receptor modulators, uh, metabolic modulators, and then other sort of um, other categories uh, as well. So, you know, not an extensive list um, as in like it is an extensive list, but it's not a, an all-encompassing list. There is, there is going to be other things that might not feature on that list that you need to be aware of. Um, but these are the things, these are the general categories that we that we fall into. Now, one of the things that I find interesting here, like you said, A, obviously these are all banned substances or at risk of um, uh, contamination, contamination, yeah, containing yeah. contaminations. So it's interesting because there's a few things on this list and I'm like, oh, I actually take that. You know? um, so there's a few things on this list which I, I consume uh, myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting whether or not there's and from my understanding in my research, those substances have evidence to say that they do um, have benefits. So stuff in this list, probably there's the evidence to say it's got benefit, but it's uh, essentially illegal or um, yeah, illegal or potentially dangerous. What, what? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, this is probably, um, again, we're probably really only going to be able to touch on things here, but we are looking at things that very much may have uh, strong evidence of uh performance enhancements but unfortunately either fall onto a prohibited list or get into a very blurred murky area around um around that uh and i guess it's it's a bit of a tricky one you probably need to be um need to be mindful i guess we could have a whole a whole different topic talking about these things um in a in a sort of educational way to sort of you know what they do and what the potential risks are uh, but you know, from a from an AIS point of view, that's giving advice out to the athletes. This is the things that they recommend steering clear from. Yeah, one one of the things that I find interesting is that performance enhancement stuff is okay on some level for some things. For example, creatine um, yep. or any of those things. But then um, when you look at something else, it's like, oh no, that's that's too performance enhancing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it is interesting. So um, yeah, so there's a there's a balance between uh you know optimization hmm. versus uh you know artificial uh increase and, well, and, and yeah. a lot of and, it will and, have and, to do with a lot of it will have to do with safety i think so yeah yeah okay so then, yeah. then the other thing i was going to say is because some of these things are also still from my again from my understanding are natural things so to speak mm. um so either a i suppose it's safety or b you know, there's not the evidence. It'd be, and I, I've tried to. You, you can't actually click on these things to go through further, which is which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that's a really I find that quite interesting on a point of like, well, creatine's good, but um, yep. something that I take on this list is tribulus terrestris um, is is on the ban list. But it does say, you know, when you read up the top, it's, it sort of does outline that oh, it's it's in that list because it's at a high chance of containing other cross contaminant stuff potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, so yeah, well, we can have a look at this list, I suppose. And these, obviously, again, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I don't know anything about steroids. Um, so I'm assuming, like, this, when it talks about the stimulants and stuff like that, I'm assuming these things aren't necessarily steroids as such. <laughs> you know, like I, I know SARMs are probably fit close to that list, but 
Um, yeah, yeah. So there's nothing on here that I read and I go, oh, well, that's I know that's like clenbuterol or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You so know. I guess the sort of the pro pro hormones and hormone boosters and the sort of growth hormone releases and peptides would all sort of be considered, you know, some form of a steroid. So um, it's any kind of hormonal uh, product that that promotes that sort of um, that uh, above and beyond the normal metabolic function to to give that sort of that sort of gain. And again, it's it's probably a, a whole different a whole different topic to uh, talk about on another day. Yeah. So we've got the stimulants there. Um, the only thing there that vaguely looks familiar to me is uh, ephedrine. Isn't that like isn't that what they used to have in the cold and flu tablets? Yeah, like pseudoephedrine. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's any of these sort of thing that uh, give people and and you know you're going to use caffeine as a mild sort of stimulant. Um, but then this is you know this is the the more full on um, full on options that are going to uh, you know, uh, get a get a get a significant increase. And not included on this list is probably going to be a few other things that would be you know illicit drugs, so mm. fully illicit drugs. So you know your your full on amphetamines and all that sort of stuff, which uh, you know athletes have been caught with for, for you know performance enhancing uh, components as well. But um, yeah, this is this is sort of the uh, mostly the stuff that that falls on the 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 wider band list. But people might still be able to access and, uh, and sort of use. on on over the counter. Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. as we move down, another one is the pro hormones, hormone boosters, DHEA. Is isn't that what fish oil? Am I using? Am I mi- mixing up my yeah, acronyms? No, you are. So that's DHA and EPA is the, um, okay. is the fish oil component. So DHEA is again like a like a testosterone um, sort of uh, precursor. Um, so there, there are things that are used for, for medical purposes. Um, uh, and I think we're actually going to hopefully have a chat about a few testosterone sort of things. So it's probably one that we can explore on, uh, on another episode. Um, so we've got the pro-hormone, hormone boosters. We have the GH releases, uh, which were known as peptides. Um, the beta-2 uh, agonists. I don't really know what that is. I've heard of peptides. Um, the next one is the Psalms, which is a few things that I've heard of. Uh, the first one I haven't on that list is uh, Andorin, uh, which I haven't heard of. I've heard of Osterin, and and then the one that we said that a couple of the guys have been uh, recently done with is that Ling- Lingandrol. Um, yeah, so they're well, obviously yeah. um, they're obviously Psalms, which I know is all a bit of a rage at the moment in the in the industry. Um, when yeah. you go to some of the fitness shows, it's like oh, you get Psalms, get Psalms, get Psalms. So that's a that's yeah. a bit of a rage at the moment within the fitness field. Um, so the common cause in uh, the GP world of people coming up with uh, gynecomastia or uh, breast tissue in males. So often from using Psalms, um, use, yeah, it's one of the things that we can see and it can, you know, come on a few years later and, and hang around. So yeah. Wow. There you go. Um, and then the only other thing then down there is the, in the other is something I'm familiar with. Uh, well, not personally, so to speak, but <laughs> <laughs> colostrum is the, the preformer of breast milk. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, so you can get um, like the bovine colostrum, so um, the cow equivalent. And again, that's a uh, that's like a. I know um, you know when my my children were born, the midwives used to call it um, sort of liquid gold, the the colostrum. So it's really high potency. It's got lots of hormonal things. The reason that it's uh, of concern on this on this list is um, you know there's a, a significant component of growth factors that might be in it. So it's sort of like a. 
uh, a natural a natural steroid option, quite possibly. But yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that you know like bovine colostrum is is something that you can get in in health stores and stuff as well. So a lot of uh, I guess you know in summary for this list, a lot of it is about um, safety from those those banned substances and, and making sure that you're um, not towing the line outside of what you should be consuming under those regulations. So I think uh, I think I suppose for summary on today, you you will have the the link to the AIS website. Uh, it gives you the chance to have a look at some of these things that you may be consuming yourself and maybe your clients are consuming and going, okay, well, creatine, does it have the evidence? Yes. Okay, what is the evidence? What does it say? What does it support? Perfect. Great. Um, you know, fish oil, what does it support? You know, vitamin D, all these sort of things. And and this website has links to all of those sort of things uh, with, with outlines to the research and different papers as well. So so I think it is a good uh, a good solid resource for people to get to and and uh, have a bit of an explorer uh, because you know I'm I'm assuming I'm not alone um, in in you know, being in the fitness field and you know taking supplements here and there and reading about one thing and another thing and um, I assume I'm not uh, you know not too too alone with that sort of stuff but you know luckily I've steered clear a lot of of a lot of the uh, of a lot of the banned stuff there but there is one or two things there that I was like oh I've had, I've had that one um, you know so um, but yeah, definitely. It's a, it's an interesting topic and an interesting thing for, for people to get yourself educated on and, and, and have a bit of an explore here as well. Um, before we sign off, are there any other things that you wanted to touch on um, for today? No, look, at, look, it's a massive topic. Today was about a little bit of a, an initial uh, toe in the water to have a little bit of an understanding of uh, how to best educate yourself on a little bit of basic introduction to supplements. And, and hopefully it's something that we can uh, build on in our further discussions. So Hopefully a few people have stuck around to the end and, uh, and, and learn a few things and got some resources and, and know where to go to get uh, some good info now. Love it. As always, guys, um, hit us up on our Facebook community group at the Fitness Education Online, uh, Instagram, message us, all that sort of stuff. If you want topics, if you want ask questions, all that sort of good stuff, um, you know, we're always happy to have uh, recommendations for, for guests or topics. That's always awesome. Uh, but apart from that, guys, thank you so much for listening uh, to another episode of Bro Science. Hopefully, we've sorted some fact from fiction uh, specifically around supplements. Craig, thank you again. Uh, look forward to chatting to you again soon. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Well, check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.